Bible handy, won't you turn with me to Judges chapter 9, please. Judges chapter 9. That's where we're going to begin this morning. I hope everyone had a wonderful week. Uh, we were traveling all week. It was wonderful. It was exciting. It was a little cold, but uh, I hope you all were able to see your family as much as we were able to see ours. This morning, I want to speak to you all about a tragic story. Judges 9 is about Abimelech, and it's tragic because we have a man who is so guided by his own lusts and his own desires that at the end of his life, nobody misses him. Nobody misses him, nobody cares about him. In fact, tragedy not only strikes there, but it strikes through his hand towards the people he is actually in charge of. And it's sad to see, but it offers us a warning that I want us to look at. Judges chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 1. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubbaal, went to Shechem and his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, Say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jerubbaal rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal-bareth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbaal, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. Abimelech is the son of Jerubel, or he, as he is known as, is the son of Gideon. Now, Gideon was the judge before Abimelech. He had ruled for 40 years and had been a very successful judge. He had, created, or he had helped to make peace with the enemies of Israel. He had helped to take Israel out of the oppression, and all of Israel tended to follow God under his stead. But once he died, we see a little bit of chaos because whenever someone of that stature, of that leadership style, passes away, there is always a void. And in that void, someone wants that power, someone wants to live as a ruler, and that's where we see Abimelech step up. Now, Abimelech is different from his brothers, the 70 sons that we read about later on, as in he is not technically one of the sons of, of Gideon in a way. He is a son of a concubine, so his inheritance would have been a, a lot less than any of the other sons that Gideon had. So right off the bat, we see he is desperate for something. He's not going to get a lot from his father after he passed, so he has to find a way to get what he wants. And he does so by seizing this opportunity by speaking to his family. He goes to his mother and, and gives her this plan, his mother and his mother's family, and he says, hey, isn't it better if instead of 70 people ruling over you all, isn't it better if there's just one? And wouldn't it even be better than that if that one person was one of you, was a Shechemite? And of course, this is pleasing to hear. And in fact, it sounds simple and pleasing enough to us here today that, yes, it would be better for one person to rule instead of 70. And why not have someone who I know who is just like me in charge? So this plan sounds pleasing, and it works. They take it before the leaders of Shechem, and the leaders of Shechem hear it, and they say, okay, that's fine by us. And they appoint Abimelech as their leader. And they give Abimelech some money. And Abimelech takes that money to buy one of my favorite phrases in the entire Bible, worthless and reckless fellows. He goes out and finds mercenaries, probably just as bad of a per people as he is, to go after his family. 
And he takes those mercenaries to his father's home and on one stone kills 70 of his brothers. Isn't that just tragic? Isn't that just sad to read about? That one man could be so evil and worthless that he sets out to kill his family so no one can oppose his rule. That's Abimelech. That's the character that we have to go off of in this story. He is worthless. He is set about striving after what he wants because that's all he can see. And it blinds him to the people around him. It blinds him to his own family to the point where he doesn't even care that he's killing them. Abimelech's reign is a cautionary tale for all of us. Not because we have a chance to to go be like Abimelech and rule over a huge amount of people. Not saying that that's not a possibility, but more often than not, we're not going to have that role. But Abimelech's a cautionary tale because he shows us a a character that we should be wary of. Later on in the story, we see Jotham, one of Gideon's sons who lives because he hid himself, speak out against Abimelech. Jotham offers a prophecy or a parable to help us shed some light on what just happened and what's going to happen in the future. Jotham talks about three different plants and a a group of trees. And this group of trees is looking for a leader. And they go to a fig tree, and the fig tree rejects them. They go to an olive tree, and the olive tree rejects them. They go to a vine, and the vine rejects them. And finally, the trees, in their search of a leader, just turn to whoever is going to accept their offer. They turn to a bramble, which is a thorny bush, and they turn and ask it to be its leader. And the, the bramble accepts, but it gives a warning. It says, if you've appointed me with good honor and integrity, then yes, I will be your leader. But if you haven't done, that, done this with honor and respect, then there's going to be punishment on both of us, and it's going to devour both of us. And if you'll pick up with me in verse 16, we're going to see the explanation of how this relates to Abimelech and the story. Verse 16, now therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jeroboam in his house and have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and you have risen up against my father's house this day, and have killed his son, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem, because he is your relative. If you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jeroboam with his house this day, Then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech, and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come out of the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo, and devour Abimelech. The warning's very clear. That if they have dealt with honor and with integrity towards Jeroboam's house, everything's going to be fine. But kind of in a backhanded way, Jotham tells him, you really didn't. You rose up against the man who saved you, who risked his life for you. So you could have peace. You killed his sons just so you can instill a relative over you. He reminds them that they have not acted honorably. And because of this, in verse 20, we see that fire is going to come out of both parties and devour the other. Destruction is going to come. Jotham's story outlines our understanding of Abimelech. He helps us to understand how Abimelech really is a worthless leader. He equates him to a bramble, which is a worthless plant. It's thorny, it's useless, it gets in the way. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to focus on the idea of how to be a worthless plant. I'm not going to give you a blueprint on how to be exactly like Abimelech, but rather I hope that we can look at his story and learn how to go against these ideas. 
how his story equates to an idea that we should be different and not as worthless. Because he gives us examples of how useless that is. Look with me back at the beginning of chapter 9. Chapter 9, now Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and the whole clan of his mother's family, Say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that you or, or that all the seventy of the sons of Jeroboam rule over you, or that one rule over you. Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem. And their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. Abimelech is the worthless bramble that we've, we are told about from Jotham. But there's a reason he is so worthless. And in this story, we're going to see so many different acts or actions that he takes to become worthless or to act worthlessly. But it all starts in one spot. It's interesting to note that his worthlessness is not influenced by someone around him. It's not the Philistines or the Amalekites whispering in his ear telling him, Hey, go do this against Israel. Incite this against the people of God. His worthlessness is not coming from those around him. Not that it can't, and we'll actually talk about that in a moment. But his worthlessness comes from the heart. His worthlessness comes from it within. He is so focused on what he wants that his actions become worthless. He even goes out of his own way to murder his own family just so they can't rise up against him. Just so they can't stop what he is doing. And when I say this, I don't, want, I don't mean that there's an inherent worthlessness in every single person. That's not what I mean. That's not what I think this story teaches or the rest of the Bible teaches. I'm also not saying that worthlessness cannot come from outside sources because I think we all understand that it can. But what I mean is very simple. What I put my hopes in, my desires in, what I chase after can make me worthless. Because once my heart is focused on doing something, something against God or disobedient or other than what God expects of me, then my actions don't lead me to salvation. My actions don't help me in the eyes of God. My actions become worthless. When we think about our hopes and dreams in this world, we understand that that's what drives us. That what I I desire pushes me to do something. Growing up, I had a desire to be an athlete. I wanted to be on the cereal boxes. I wanted to be on the commercials. And so I played every sport I could, and it pushed me and pushed me until I realized I just wasn't athletic enough to do what I actually dreamed about, and I had to watch people do it. But that dream pushed me throughout my young age. It pushed me to be better at what I was trying to do. And sometimes I was only focused on how to be a better athlete instead of trying to figure out how to help my family or how to be a better brother or a better son. My world was enveloped by that idea or hope that I could one day be an athlete. But also there's other things that come from Abimelech's story than just this this idea right here. Worthlessness pours into different attitudes that reflect in his life. You see, Abimelech is selfish. He selfishly desires that rule. And much like Abimelech being selfish, I can be selfish too. When I'm only looking at what I want, what does Zach need, what does Zach desire, I block out everyone around me. It may even mean I block out my family like Abimelech does. My life is then on a course of worthlessness because I'm so blinded by what I want, I can only see what's in front of me that I don't care about helping people. I don't look to someone else's needs. I don't look to encourage someone else. I don't look to obey God because if God's way doesn't work with me, then why should it matter? When I'm selfish in my job, thinking about maybe how I can always get a bigger paycheck or be that best man there, get the highest promotion, I'm not going to care about who I step on to get there. I'm not going to care about the time that I push out of my family's life to put into my job. 
I'm only going to care about what I want. And it starts, that selfishness starts in the heart, and it makes me worthless. Much like Abimelech, my ambition can make me worthless. It's that same idea of hopes and dreams. If I have something set in front of me and I have this goal to be put in front of people, be popular, be a leader, well, then I can step on people to get my way. I can push people out to get my way. I can be blinded to everyone around me because I am so driven by ambition. And ambition isn't a bad thing inherently, but once it becomes my only focus, it makes me worthless. Spiritually, I can become a worthless bramble because when my hopes aren't in Jesus and salvation, then my actions aren't going to reflect that of an obedient servant. No matter how noble I think my actions are, if I do not have that faith that I need in Jesus, then those actions are worthless. They might help people on earth. They might put me out as a kind and honorable person, but if there's no faith in my life, then there's no hope. What I choose to be the leader of my life, my pride, my ego, my ambition, will shape my actions, and they'll make me either worth, worthless or useful. If I choose the wrong leader, much like the men of Shechem, much like Abimelech, then my life, it will be that worthless bramble. And it's not just this story here that talks about worthlessness. Look with me in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 33 Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. The fruit that we're talking about here is obedience. See, it's the idea of obeying God and keeping his word and living a life that is worthy of him. And the bad fruit then comes from disobedience, from rejecting God, from doing something completely different. And Jesus tells us in this passage that that idea, those actions come from the heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I can be careless in what I say, and that reflects what I put my hopes in. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Here we see Jesus foretelling of his death and Peter thinking of it in a worldly sense. He thinks, well, Jesus can't die. He's supposed to establish his kingdom. He's supposed to be here. And so he rebukes Jesus. He tells him that's not how it's going to happen. And Jesus has to then, in turn, rebuke Peter, telling him, calling him Satan and telling him to get behind him because he's a hindrance to what Jesus wants to do. And then we see, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on things of man. The reason Peter rebukes him is because he's so focused on what he can see. He's so focused on the here and now that he's not really thinking on how God wants it to be. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Our hopes and desires are meant to be in Jesus and in heavenly things. And when they are, that brings us closer to God. 
It brings us closer to obeying him and being a worthy disciple. Worthlessness of the worthless bramble comes from the heart, and it poisons the entire plant. And not only does it poison the entire plant or the entire person, but it affects those around the people. Selfishness, pride, ambition, they all create a worthless bramble if they aren't kept in check. Abimelech's worthlessness comes from within because he's so focused on power and leadership and authority rather than obedience or faithfulness. Our worthlessness is the same. It comes from our hearts. If we're not careful, it can poison who we are and who we try to be. Look with me now back in Judges chapter 9, starting in verse 3. Judges chapter 9, starting in verse 3. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem. And their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal-bareth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. Worthlessness throughout this story starts with one person, but it doesn't stop there. It starts with Abimelech, but then it goes to his family. And then it goes from his family to the leaders of Shechem and the leaders of Beth Milo. And later on in the story, we'll even see worthlessness, worthlessness affect those who are under his reign. Because there's a man who raises up to incite a, resur- a rev- revolution against him. Worthlessness is contagious. Abimelech is so worthless and so able to use his worthlessness to his, uh, to his own ability that he affects those around him. He causes his family and the people of Shechem to okay this act of killing his brothers. And in fact, afterwards, they even know what's just gone on and they still make him king in verse 6. Worthlessness is contagious. These men should have shot him down immediately. They should have seen this and said, no, that's, that's not right. And in fact, if they hadn't done it after the killing of his brothers, they should have known something was wrong then. But they kept on going on. Later in the story, in chapter 9, verses 26 through 29, we see a man named Gal. And Gal convinces people around him to revolt against Abimelech, using the same kind of charisma and scheming that Abimelech used at the beginning of the story. He, he goes against Abimelech's heritage. He calls him out for not really being a Shechemite because he points to his father's lineage. And he raises up this revolution, inciting worthlessness in the people around him, which is a retaliation against Abimelech for what he's done. In the same way that Abimelech's worthlessness infects and is contagious to those around him, my worthless attitude is contagious to everyone around me. My attitude of selfish desire can influence others to be selfish and to look after what they want first and foremost. An attitude of anger or wrath can tell people that it's okay to fly off the handle at the smallest things. It's okay to seek out revenge for when someone hurts me and mocks me. An attitude of lust can influence others that it's okay to give in to anything sexual that I desire or prefer. My worthless attitude can be worthless in so many different ways, but it is always contagious to those around me. And we cannot underestimate the power of worthlessness because if we look around us and see people succumbing to the same things that we're failing at, and we look at our lives and see us as a beacon of that example that it's okay to do things that it's not okay to do, we have to understand that we are worthless 
and making other people worthless. And we can affect so many people with our worthlessness in our lives. For me, the first person that I would affect would be my spouse. If I am constantly selfish and looking after what I want, well, eventually it's going to cause Bailey to maybe start looking at, well, how can I get what I want? I'm not clearly not, Zach is clearly not looking after what I need, so how can I do it for myself? And all of a sudden, selfishness starts to creep into her mind. And she starts to look after what she wants because it started with me. The second group of people would be children. Now, I don't have children yet, but I can imagine and, and think about the future that if I am being a worthless person, selfish, prideful, or angry all the time, it's going to affect those who are around me constantly. It would affect children that I would have. Kids, I know this from my own, my own raising, kids latch on to what they see. And if I am constantly going around yelling at people, cursing people out because they've done something to me, what do you think those kids are going to pick up on? They're going to pick up on that attitude of anger, and it's okay to lash out. Worthlessness is contagious to everyone. My worthless attitude is also contagious to the people I work with. I could come into work and be this utterly terrible person, and eventually it's going to rub off on Jacob. Because eventually he's either going to get so sick of me that he'll start to get angrier with me and lash out at me. Or it's just going to creep into his life. My worthlessness will infect my coworkers. It would do it the same at any other job. And constantly people would be looking over their shoulder to see, well, how is Zach acting today? What is he going to say today that's, that's going to set people off? Finally, my worthless attitude affects my church family. There have been times in my life where I've gone to church and I've talked to people and I've had conversations with people and at the end of those conversations, I've come away thinking, well, they're only thinking about themselves. I don't really like that. And I know for a fact there have been conversations where people have gone away thinking the same thing about me because I've only thought about myself. Any question they would ask me, any topic that came up, I would re redirect it to who I am or what I want. When we have a worthless attitude and bring it into worship, it's going to bleed into everything we do in worship. It'll come out in our prayers. It'll come out in our songs. It'll come out in our comments to other people in classes and distract those around us. And eventually it'll wear down the brethren so much that either they'll just agree with us and go along with it, or they just want us to leave. Our worthless attitudes or lifestyles are contagious to our brethren. And Jesus also talks about this in the New Testament as well. Actually, we'll start with Paul. Paul starts with it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and of evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul writes about the power of leaven, a... a tool in making bread that helps it to rise, that even the smallest bit of leaven can affect the entire loaf. He uses boasting at the beginning of this passage. My boasting can affect everyone around me, no matter how small that boasting might seem to me. It can affect everyone around me. First Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul also writes, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Paul points out that the company they've been keeping, keeping has been ruining their attitude. 
At the end of this passage, he tells them that there are people who haven't heard the word of God, and it's because of them. It's because they haven't gone about doing what they have to be doing or need to be doing because they've been surrounding themselves with bad company, and it's been ruining them. My worthlessness is contagious. It affects the people around me, and it can cause others to sin and fall away just as much as it causes me to fall away. Back in Judges chapter 9, we see another point. Judges chapter 9, starting in verse 16. Actually, we'll start in verse 20. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. Punishment is going to come to the worthless bramble. Jotham explains to the men of Shechem that they've acted treacherously with Abimelech and Gideon's family. And because of that, not only will Abimelech devour the leaders, and that's where their punishment will come, but the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo will devour Abimelech, and he will be punished for what he's done. Worthlessness is judged. The punishment is exceedingly simple, yet it's astounding for Abimelech and these wicked men. Later in the chapter, we see after this, in, this revolution against Abimelech, we see Abimelech go to snuff out the problem people. Abimelech takes his army and attacks the people of Shechem. And the men of Shechem, the leaders of Shechem, the women of Shechem are all in this tower towards the end of the chapter. And while they're in that tower, Abimelech comes with wood and he stacks it against the tower and he lights it on fire. And in verses 46 through 49, we see that a thousand people die and all of the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo are killed in that fire. Fire literally poured out of Abimelech and devoured these worthless men because of what they did. Later on in the story, after this account, Abimelech then turns his sight on a different city. And we'll start in verse 50. Then Abimelech went to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city, and all the men and women and all the leaders of the city fled and shut themselves in, and they went up to the roof of the tower. We have a very similar scenario to the same one that just happened. People are hiding in a tower, and of course, Abimelech's probably sitting there thinking, well, I know how to deal with this. I know how to handle this. I'll just do the same thing I just did. Verse 52, but, and Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the tower, drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to his young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me a woman killed him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. Abimelech is killed in this encampment. A woman throws off this millstone, which is a large, heavy, round stone, and it crushes the skull of Abimelech. And we can still see his pride and his ego there as he's laying, dying on the ground. He turns to his armor bearer and says, hey, I need you to do something for me. I need you to come stab me so that a woman can't say she killed me. His pride is still there at the very end, and he's punished for what he's done. In fact, we can see in verse 56, probably the most telling statement of all, thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made the, all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their head. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. Punishment, judgment comes to these worthless actions. They don't get off scotch-free for what they've done. This may mean that judgment is slow, though, but it's still assured. We see in this story that Abimelech is able to rule for three years without any form of punishment. 
He's able to go on with his, his judgeship and rule without any idea that, well, what I did was extremely wrong. And he continues on. So just because I have a worthless attitude, it doesn't mean that I'm going to be punished immediately. In fact, my worthless attitude can go on for long periods of time unpunished. But ultimately, no matter what, if I continue in that worthless attitude of selfishness or pride, my judgment is going to come for me. In my relationships, my worthless attitude could cost me them. I could lose friends. I could lose family just because I am so focused on my selfish desires. My selfishness, my pride could cost me my job. It could cost me my career, something that I maybe have focused on and worked so hard to get. I could lose it because of who I am, because I am so selfish or prideful that they just can't stand me anymore in my career. Spiritually, my worthless attitude will cost me my salvation. If I have no faith in God or put my faith in other things above God and prioritize that above God, my salvation is at risk. If I continue down those paths, those paths of worthlessness, then I am going to be lost. And I am not focusing my mind on heavenly things or drawing nearer to God. But in fact, I am drawing closer and closer to the world and things not of God. And there is judgment from being the worthless bramble. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 10. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Every disciple, that is what this is talking about, a tree is a disciple. Every disciple that does not bear good fruit, that is not obedient or faithful to God, is going to be cut, cut down and cast away. And in fact, that punishment that comes is, is, is being thrown into the fire. A fire leaves nothing left, especially of trees. All that will be left is ashes and dust. That's what is there for those of us who cannot or will not bear fruit for God and become worthless trees. John chapter 15, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that he does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you, cannot, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Bearing good fruit also means that we abide in Jesus. We look to him for what he expects of us. And we strive to do it. And he tells us in this passage that if we bear good fruit, we can continually be used by God. That we're continually pruned and able to bear more fruit for him. But those who do not bear fruit are thrown out. And what's interesting in this passage, we see that a branch is thrown out and it's left to wither for a little bit before it burns. It's left to suffer for a little before it suffers the ultimate punishment of that burning. If I do not bear fruit, I'm going to be cut off and cast out like a withered branch. And in Romans chapter 6, Paul tells us, For when you were slaves to sin... You are free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul again warns, just like Jesus, of the, the 
end of unfruitfulness. There is death at the end of unfruitfulness. There is death at the end of worldliness. But there is life at the end of fruitfulness. There is life at the end of obedience to God and faith in God. And so when we look at the story of Abimelech, we're being told the dangers of worthlessness. What happens when we give ourselves up to those passions we so desire? What happens when we give ourselves up to selfishness or lust or anger? The worthless bramble is always destroyed. There's no exception. It is always burnt up in the end. And if we remember that warning, then we should be desiring to be one of the other plants that Jotham tells us about. Back in Judges in chapter 9, we're going to look at verse 8. Judges chapter 9, Jotham tells us this. Verse 8, the trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to him, shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Each of the plants that is approached offers a reason why they're not going to go lead the trees. Each one of them comes up and says, well, what I'm doing is useful to God. And I'm not going to leave what is useful to God to go become useless to God. To do something I am not meant to do. They weren't fit to lead the trees because that's not what God desired for them to do. If we want to be like one of those plants, we have to recognize the task set before us by God. Each one of us has been blessed by different gifts and different opportunities. And our goal is then to fulfill those opportunities using the gifts God has blessed us with. And using them to God's glory not to our own. It requires humility. Am I able to put away my own pride, my own ego, my own anger, so that I can do what God expects me to do and asks me to do, and not to be ruled by a worthless attitude? I must be willing to, be able, I must be willing to bear good fruit, to use what God has given me so that I can become fruitful, obeying God, listening to Him and submitting to His will, instead of submitting to my own desires, my own passions. It's not always easy to do this, though. It's not always easy to step back and look at our lives and say, yeah, I really struggle with this. But it has to be done. I still struggle with this. There are times where I only want what Zach wants. I don't really care who's in my way. I don't really care who I'm going to hurt. Because what I want, I'm going to go get. And at the end of that, when when I take a step back after looking what I've done, I can see a path of destruction in my way. The people I have hurt the people I've discarded because they weren't really useful to me in getting what I want. And it's a pride issue. A pride issue in not being able to step back and say, yes, my attitudes are becoming worthless, and I need to fix that. Once we're able to do that, though, it, it does become easier. Because if I'm able to identify what the actual issue is, whether it's my pride, my lust, my anger, I can then go to the source. And if I'm willing to go to the source and grow out of those attitudes, then I'm going to become a fruitful plant for God. I'm going to become good in the eyes of God. Driven by my faith, driven by my obedience, I will be useful and not cut out and cast out because of worthlessness. My salvation is worth that examination. My salvation is worth me sitting back and saying, there's something wrong in my life and I need to fix it. And all of our salvation is worth that examination. 
I appreciate your attention at this time. We're going to go ahead and be dismissed for our classes.